We're going to continue this morning in our Behold the Man series. If you have a Bible, most of our passages this morning are going to be from the book of John, John chapters 14 and chapter 16. Uh, I will have all of the scripture references, though, up here for us this morning. But uh, if you want to get over there in your Bible, feel free. I was thinking this week uh, about the concept of separation anxiety. If you've got younger kids especially, you're familiar with this idea. Somewhere starting around, I don't know, five or six months until they're at least like 18 months, maybe even three or four years. Kids go through this separation anxiety phase, right? Some of you may have experienced it this morning. If you're either working in the nursery or you dropped your kids off in the nursery, uh, when you drop off that kid, they begin to cry and scream and panic because they don't know uh, how long you're going to be gone. They may not even know if you're ever coming back, right? And so the child begins to to panic and it's stressful for them, it's stressful for you, it's stressful for the the nursery workers sometimes, right? I remember uh, one time when we were, uh, when our kids were really little, uh, we dropped them off in the nursery and we usually, we we learned after a while, uh, we didn't stick around for the separation anxiety tears. Instead, we would just kind of toss them to the nursery worker and run back down the hall, right? I shared that first service and I could tell some of the non-parents were thinking, you monster, right? But there was, uh, there was no other way, right? After a while, you just learned to leave. Well, I remember doing that and then only maybe halfway into the service, the church service, our number came up, right? And we had to go back down to the, the nursery because one of our kids just couldn't take the separation anymore. And they said, you gotta, you gotta come get them, right? Anybody who has kids... Anybody who's worked in the nursery, you've seen that. We're we're familiar with that concept. What you may not know is also animals can experience separation anxiety. Your pets, your dogs, your cats, if you left them at home this morning, especially in the thunder, they might be afraid. They might wonder when you're coming back. Uh, As I thought about it this week, I learned just this week that there are, there's all, all kinds of products to help your pets with their separation anxiety. You may not be aware of this. Let me just share a few of them this morning. There's a product called the Thunder Shirt. Uh, you can put this on your dog, and uh, I guess the idea is it makes him feel like he's constantly being hugged by a very close, squeezy hug, right? And so the idea is when you're gone, this squeezing makes him go, okay, I'm, I'm calmer, right? I'm not so upset. Uh, Another one is called the anxiety pillow. Uh, You can buy this for your dog. And and this one, you're supposed to sleep on it for a little while first. And I guess get your scent on it. And then you give it to the dog. And then when you're gone, the dog can smell what you smell like. And he's less afraid. I think that one retails for, I don't know, $49.99, something like that, if you're interested. And then uh, this was my favorite. Uh, This is more in the $200 range, so you got to be serious at this point. Uh, This is called Pet Acoustics. It is a preloaded speaker with classical music designed specifically to calm down your dog, right? Uh, So a classical cellist has played music into a recorder of some kind, and now you get to play it back for only a couple hundred dollars to calm your dog down. Now, as I read about that and I thought about it, I thought, man, that has got to be a sort of downward career trajectory for a classically trained cellist, right? You went to Juilliard and now you're playing for a dog speaker, right? That's what you do. Okay, but, but, but these products are sold because people recognize separation anxiety is real. 
And where does it come from? Well, the idea behind separation anxiety is I'm about to be separated from the most important person or people in my life. For a baby, it's their parents. For a dog or a cat, it's their owner. It's in Jesus' disciples. They're about to be separated from the most important person in their world, who is Jesus. For three years, they followed Jesus. They've learned from Jesus. They believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet on the night before he died, Jesus stands or sits with them and he says, hey guys, I need to tell you something. Again, by the way, he had told them this already, but he says, I'm about to leave. And in less than 24 hours, Jesus died and then he rose again and then he ascended into heaven. And he says, I'm going to go away. You're not going to see me anymore. He goes, but you know where I'm going. You know the way I'm going. And they're like, wait a second, how are we supposed to know where you're going? He says, Hey, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, right? But he says, I'm going to go away. And he says, I know you're, you're freaked out, right? You're afraid, you're troubled. He says, I don't want you to be. And here's why, because I'm not going to leave you alone in your separation anxiety. He says, instead, when I go away, I'm going to send, not a pillow, not a speaker, I'm going to send a somebody. I'm going to send a person to be with you. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of God who will come when I leave and the Spirit of God will will live among you and live in you and remind you of what I said and empower you to obey and go throughout the world and draw people to know me. So he says, I'm not leaving you alone. In fact, in John chapter 16, Jesus would say this. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I used to read that passage and, and I thought, man, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever had this thought. I just wish I could have been on earth when Jesus was here. Right? I wish I could have lived and walked with Jesus like the disciples. That must have been the best, right? And I'm sure it was. But so why does Jesus say, hey, it's actually better for you if I go, right? It's going to be better when I ascend into heaven and the Spirit comes because having the Spirit is going to be even better. And here's, here's why. And we're going we're gonna to look at what the Spirit does this morning. But, but I think here's why. Because the Spirit can move throughout the entire world, and communicate who God is and what Jesus has done to everybody, not just those who are physically present with Jesus. That in Jesus' absence, because Jesus died to take away the penalty of sin, and he rose again and he ascended into heaven, now he can send the Spirit to be among God's people, and the Spirit can go amongst all of us to proclaim who Jesus is. So that when we say, hey, if you want to have eternal life, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? We say that all the time. What are we really saying? We're saying that it's through the Spirit of God now that we all can have a relationship with Jesus because Jesus cleared sin out of the way so the Spirit can come in. So you and I are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is this question then of what does the Holy Spirit do? I think in Christian circles, we talk about Jesus a lot. We might even talk about God the Father a lot. We don't talk as much about the Holy Spirit, right? But, but the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to us knowing Jesus and following Jesus because the Spirit is the member of the Trinity with whom we 
interact, right? He's the member of the Trinity who lives in us, the Scripture said, right? Biblically, the, the Holy Spirit, he's not, he's not a force like Star Wars, right? You think about Star Wars and the force, sort of this spiritual idea out here. I think a lot of us think of the Spirit that way. Biblically, the Spirit is a he. It's a person. It's a personal Spirit who lives in and among God's people. Because when Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, I'm going to send you my Spirit so you can know me personally and be empowered to follow me. So we're going to look at that this morning. What does the Spirit do for us as believers in Jesus Christ? And what does he do out in the world to draw people to know Jesus? So I'm going to give us four activities of the Holy Spirit this morning. First one is this. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. Look at John chapter 16. Jesus said this, When he comes, that is the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus says there's three things the Spirit communicates out in the world. One is he communicates about sin. That is, he tells people, you're a sinner and you need to be cleaned. And concerning righteousness, he says, because as long as Jesus was living on earth, Jesus was this perfect living standard of righteousness, right? So he says, because I'm going away and I won't be here, now the Spirit will communicate not only that something's wrong, not only that you're a sinner, but also about the righteousness of God. You fall short of the standard, here is the standard. And then the third thing he says is judgment, that the Spirit of God says a day is coming when God will judge all sin, destroy God's enemy, Satan. And if you want to be with him forever in his kingdom, you need to be cleaned. And so one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is he moves in the hearts of those who don't yet know Jesus to say, you need him. You need the cleansing and the life and the hope that Jesus offers. Because on our own, in our natural state, we're not aware how far we are from God. We're not aware of what we need and we're not aware of the solution. So that's one of the things the Spirit does. I don't know how many of you have uh, sons maybe between the ages of about five and say 15, 16 or so, but if you've got a son at that age, you know that they don't always want to take a bath, right? It's not their favorite thing to do. And so sometimes they may come to you in the evening and they may say, hey, uh, I, I don't want to take a bath. Can I not take a bath tonight? And you may say, did you take a bath last night? And they go, I think so. Right? You're like, mm, that, I'm not sure that counts, right? Because, because I, can, I can actually smell you from here and I see the dirt, right? And, and, and maybe you, you did take some kind of a, a bath last night. But did you use soap, right? You have to use soap. If you're going to get clean, they go, okay, I'll go take a bath, right? So they go take a bath. They don't want to do it. What is your role as a parent? Well, partly your role is to say this. You are dirty and you need to be cleaned. You need to be washed. That's a huge part of what the Spirit does with all of us until we know Jesus. He says you're stained with your sin and you need to be cleansed. And then the Spirit says, I'm going to show you where you can get life and cleansing and the righteousness of God. 
Christianity Today keeps a, a section on their website devoted to people's conversion stories, how they came to know Jesus. And I read one this week that highlighted, I thought, how the Spirit sometimes works to draw people to Jesus. I want to share just a little bit of it with you this morning because I found it remarkable. This is the testimony of a woman named Mary Poplin. She was a college professor, very, very uh, liberally-minded college professor. And she begins her story. She says, I met God in a dream. He arranged the encounter. I was not looking for Him. At the time, I was 41, and I considered myself wildly progressive. I was spiritual, but not religious, which meant I thought I could be good without God. I was seeking happiness, self-fulfillment, and freedom from restraint, all the while deluding myself about my own, quote, goodness. We were children of the 60s, products of the I'm okay, you're okay culture. Then she goes on and she says this, but in certain moments, in the middle of the night, or in the darkness of depression, I could see glimpses of who I really was. I was not growing freer. My heart was growing harder, my emotions darker, and my mind more confused. But I was unable to admit this candidly. Then she goes on, she says, in November of 1992, I had an unshakable dream. And the essence of her dream, she says, I was in a long line of people. We were all wearing gray clothes. And she said, I couldn't tell where the line uh, began or where it ended. But she said, I looked all the way up to the front. And she said, I saw the scene of the Last Supper. She said, I recognize it from Sunday school. And here's Jesus and his disciples who said, everybody goes up to Jesus. And she said, all of a sudden, when I stepped up to Jesus... I was aware, she says this, she says, when I got to Jesus, I looked in his eyes, I grasped immediately that every cell in my body was filled with filth, and weeping I fell at his feet. But when he reached over and touched my shoulders, I suddenly felt perfect peace. And so she went to talk to a friend who was a Christian, and he said, you should read the Bible. And as she read the Bible, the Spirit began to convict her more deeply that she was a sinner. And then she saw the good news of God in Jesus Christ. And particularly for her, a passage that stuck out to her was 1 John 1, 9, what she calls the bar of soap passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's the drawing work of the Holy Spirit. He moves through the world and he draws people toward Jesus so they can respond in faith. Jesus says, when I go away, it's not just going to be on the disciples to tell every single person with no movement of God in the world, but instead the Spirit goes ahead and the Spirit comes behind to draw people to Jesus. So the Spirit draws people to Jesus and then he does something remarkable and that is he is the one, he is the member of the Trinity who actively washes away our sin. So he points out the problem of sin, points out our need for Jesus and then when we believe, the Spirit does what the Bible calls regeneration. That is he makes us new or being born again is another way to, to think about this. If you think about John 3, most of us are familiar with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? That verse is in the context of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, 
this Pharisee who came to him in the middle of the night to learn about Jesus. And he says, hey, Jesus, I know you're from God, right? Everybody knows nobody could do what you do unless you're from God. And Jesus says to him, he says, hey, Nicodemus, you can't enter my kingdom unless you are born again, right? He uses that term uh, really for the first time that Nicodemus would have heard it, right? So we're used to hearing about being born again. We use it as, a, as even an adjective. You're a born again Christian. Uh, Nicodemus, this was totally new to him. So he says, you got to be born again. And he goes, that's impossible, right? I cannot climb back into my mother's tummy and go through the whole thing again. And Jesus says, hey, you're not getting me. Unless you are born of water and the spirit, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's, he's not saying, Nicodemus, you need to go take a physical bath and then you need to meet the Spirit. He's not talking about baptism. Instead, what Jesus is doing in this passage, he's going back to an Old Testament passage that Nicodemus should have known, by the way. That's why Jesus goes, hey, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know this stuff? Because Jesus is making reference to Ezekiel 36. Look at Ezekiel 36. God said to the people of Israel, then what will I do? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances." Right? The image is that the Spirit of God, when somebody trusts in Jesus, when somebody trusts in the Messiah, the Spirit of God is the cleansing water that washes through your spirit and makes you clean. So that in Titus chapter 3, Paul would put it this way, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by what? The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. To be regenerated is simply to be made new because you've been made clean. See, Jesus died and he rose again to take sin out of the picture so the Spirit could make us clean so that now before God, if you've trusted in God, he sees you as as cleansed by the Spirit of God and able to know him and his Spirit can live inside a clean, holy vessel where before we were filthy because of our sin. Several years ago, some of you will remember there was a TV show on that was called What Not to Wear. Some of you remember What Not to Wear. And uh, the title is somewhat self-explanatory, but the idea behind the show was that, you know, there'd be somebody just kind of living their life, right? They're just kind of moving through their life uh, relatively happy, but their friends decide that they need to dress better, right? So uh, their friends, and I should use that in quotation marks, their friends uh, decide that they're a terrible dresser. So they begin to take video and pictures of them surreptitiously because the way that they're going to help their friend is by sending pictures of them dressing badly to a national TV show so everybody can see. Right, so, so they take these images and these videos and they send it in and the hosts pick people to say, we're going we're gonna to make you better. Right? So they invite these people, they show them these videos and they go, that's what you look like as you move through the world. And they go, oh no, right? Most people start crying. Right? It's, it's, it's actually a very, very painful show to watch many times. 
But then the hosts say, hey, we're going to fix this. And they give them like $5,000 and they say, we're going to get you a whole new wardrobe and you'll dress wonderfully and you'll look better and you're going to go from old to new, from lost to found. Right? We're going to make you new. That is the concept of regeneration. Except when the Spirit does it in the lives of the people of God, He's a whole lot kinder. His goal is not to embarrass us before the world, but instead before God to expose the sin in our hearts so that He can then say, and here's what God has done in Jesus Christ to make you new, to give you eternal life, and then He washes us clean when we believe so that we stand before God regenerated, remade. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone's in Christ, behold, He's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Right? In fact, there's an image in the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah of this type of regeneration where you have uh, literally the, the, the high priest of God, his name was Joshua, standing in the holy place. And he finds out he's dressed really badly. His clothes, they're filthy. Talk about what not to wear in the presence of God. And then the Spirit of God takes the filthy clothes and gives him a clean white outfit. That's regeneration. And so the Spirit of God draws us to Jesus, washes us clean. Thirdly, He reminds us of what is true so that now that we know Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to say, when the Spirit comes, now that you know me, here's what He's going to do. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Okay, so he's talking to his disciples. Now remember, they've been with Jesus for three years. He's about to go away. And Jesus says, hey, when I go away, I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you somebody new, the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to remind you of the stuff that I said that you need to know. Now, for the disciples, that was particularly important because some years later, they were going to write the New Testament, right? They were going to write down books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we learn about Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to remind you of what I said and what I did so that you can communicate it to the world. Right, but this isn't just for the disciples in that upper room. Because part of the ministry of the Spirit is He reminds us of what is true about ourselves and what is true about God. Probably the hardest part of the spiritual life is that it is waged, the war is waged in our minds and in our hearts before it is waged in our bodies or in our actions. And that is, we take in ideas or we construct ideas in our minds and our hearts that are either true to God's Word or are false. And all too often, we listen to lies from the devil. Jesus said in John 8, that Satan is the father of lies. He's been lying since the beginning. He lied to Adam and Eve, and that's how he got them to no longer trust God's goodness in their lives and rebel against Him. And so Jesus says, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is He's going to remind you what's true. All right, so as you and I seek to follow Jesus, we encounter trial and we encounter suffering. And so there's a lie that pops up in our heads and it says something like this, God doesn't care, God doesn't love me, God doesn't see. And what the Spirit can do is He reminds us of God's Word if it's embedded in our hearts. 
He reminds us of, of passages like Romans chapter 8 where it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That is, even in the midst of pain, God loves you. God sees you. Or we struggle with sin for years and we say victory is impossible. And the Spirit of God reminds us of something like Romans chapter 6, verse 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Right? That is, I can obey and have victory over sin. Right? Or we hear something in our minds and our hearts like, you know, I'm not important. God can't use somebody like me. I'm too sinful. I'm too insignificant. And we remember Romans 8, 16 to 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit of God tells us what is true. This isn't simply positive self-help talk that the Spirit does, by the way. He's not just going to say, hey, whatever you want to do, you can do it. However much money you want, you can find it. You can wrestle a mountain lion to death, right? Don't uh, listen to that voice. It's probably coming from a darker place. But what the Spirit does is He will always remind us of those things that are in keeping with the Word of God. Right, so that maybe as you scroll through Facebook and Instagram, you hear things like, everybody's better than me. Right? They're, they're better looking than I am. Their kids are, seem nicer than, than my kids seem. Right? They're, they're, their marriage seems happier than my marriage. They go to better places on vacation every weekend than I've ever been in my life. And God hasn't given me enough. And the Spirit of God can remind us of those things we just sang. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God, I know you love me. I know you've given me all I need and more in Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, when I leave, you're not going to be alone. You don't need me to stand right there and tell you these things anymore because the Spirit of God will live in and among you individually, by the way, and as the people of God. We hear truth from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God, and we hear truth from one another. That's why I love coming in here and hearing the combined voices of the people of God singing together what is true as the Spirit speaks in and among us. So the Spirit reminds us of what is true. And then fourthly, He gives us the power to obey. He gives us the power to obey. John chapter 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. You know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit helper several times uh, throughout this passage. Now, that's an English translation that doesn't really capture too well the, the Greek meaning of the word helper. The, the challenge is uh, the, the original word, it's a word that is paraclete or parakletos. There's not a great word in English that really describes this concept, all right? So uh, when we think of helper, we think of maybe like, you're my little helper, right? So you may say something like that to a child, right? You helped me a little bit in my grand plan, okay? That's not what the Spirit does, 
Okay, instead, a paraclete is somebody who stands alongside you, who goes ahead of you, who is your strength, who, who allows you to participate in what he's doing, right? He is the one who stands alongside God's people and says, I'm going to give you all the strength that you need in order to obey. The way I was thinking about it this week, um, many years ago, uh, when I was in my 20s, I went hunting for the very first time. Uh, with some of the other pastors here at Grace. Now, unlike some of you, I didn't grow up hunting. I grew up in a suburb of Dallas. I had never hunted before. We were going turkey hunting. And uh, so I talked with another guy who was on staff. Some of you know Brad Evans. Brad is a great hunter. He grew up hunting. He hunted most of his adult life. He was very, very skilled at it. I said, Brad, I'm going to go on this trip, but I don't know what I'm doing. He said, hey, don't worry about it. You just show up, man. Just pack a bag, uh, show up. I'll give you everything you need, right? So I show up and Brad loans me some of his camouflage. Now, Brad is about like a foot and a half taller than I am, right? So it swallowed me up, but it also hid me very well in the brush. Brad loaned me one of his shotguns. Brad said, come out with me. He said, we walked through the woods for a while. He found the right spot. I don't know how, multiple times as we're walking through the woods, he would sit maybe here. They go, and I'm like, this looks good. Nope, not here, right? And we move somewhere else and be like, this looks good. Like it's another patch of trees, just like the other patch of trees, right? But he found the right one and he set up the blind and then he grabbed a turkey collar and he called some turkeys in from somewhere, right? And then he goes, Matt, now you just very carefully aim your shotgun and get that turkey, right? And, and I, I got him and I got the meat. And I went home and I told my family, man, I'm a great hunter. I got a turkey. Well, no, what I did was I participated in Brad's plan, right? That's the idea of the Spirit. When it says a helper, he goes before us, he comes behind us, he makes the plan, he gives us the power, he does everything we need, and then he says, now you can participate. And Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm sending you him so that you won't be alone. So that the Spirit of God, in Romans chapter 8, it says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You may remember a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about Jesus in the temple, we talked about how one of the big problems with the law of Moses was it provided a list of requirements, but no empowerment to fulfill them. And so here in Romans 8, Paul says, Jesus has sent us the Spirit of God to empower us to do what the law could never empower us to do. He lives in you. In this same chapter, Paul would say, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. He moves in the people of God to empower us to do God's will. It starts in our minds and our hearts by by drawing us to Jesus, washing us clean, reminding us of what God wants. And then he says, not only am I going to remind you, but I'm going to empower you to obey. That's who's living in us 
and among us, individually and even corporately, as the Spirit even gives us spiritual gifts so that each person can contribute to the mission of God in the world. Right? So Jesus essentially is saying to the disciples, if you think you've seen some great stuff while I've been here, wait till I leave and the Spirit can come and all of the corners of the earth can hear about Jesus and have an opportunity to know and reflect Jesus because of who he is and what he's bringing. So as we close then and and as we prepare for communion in a moment, let me offer a few thoughts by way of application. The first one is this. Each day, pray for sensitivity to the Spirit's voice. I want to say this. Sometimes we may pray something like, um, Spirit, come and be with us, or, or I want the Spirit to be here. And, and, and it's not that that's bad, right? But the truth is the Spirit is here. If you believe in Jesus, the Spirit is with you, is among you. So you can invite him, and I get what we're saying, but when we say that, what we really mean is this. Uh, help me to hear what the Spirit is already trying to say. Help me listen and trust him. So pray for sensitivity that that you won't push back against the Spirit's voice with the lies of the enemy, but instead that the lies of the enemy will be drowned out by the voice of the Spirit, not only in your heart, but in the hearts and lives of those around you that you know, those who do not know Jesus Christ, right? It might be even that you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus Christ. And yet you might be here because you've sensed the voice of God's Spirit saying there's something else you need. And what God's word says is what you need is you need Jesus who died for your sin, who rose again and offers eternal life and forgiveness of sin, cleansing from all your unrighteousness if you'll trust in Jesus Christ and then eternal life. And the spirit of God will make you new. So we pray for sensitivity to the spirit's voice. Secondly, read and memorize the scripture. That is, uh, the spirit can remind us more easily of truth if it's already written on our hearts. The greatest antidote to the lies of the enemy is the Word of God. So we fill our minds and hearts with it daily so that the truth is locked in so we can hear the Spirit speak. And then last, we ask for the power to obey God. Once we know the truth, we say, God, give me the strength to obey. Even when it's hard, even when when the lies in my mind seem to pile up, Give me the strength to listen to your voice and obey. And the Spirit will speak and the Spirit will move. As we celebrate communion then this morning, we have a great opportunity to do part of what Jesus said the Spirit would do, which is to remember what Jesus taught us. Right? So at that last supper with his disciples, that Passover meal, he tells them, I want you to to celebrate this regularly because it's going to call to mind what I did for you, that I gave my body and my blood so you can know me, so that sin can be removed, so that the Spirit can wash you clean, so you can be the people God made you to be. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate it together to remind each other of what Jesus has done. So as the elements then come forward, let's take a few moments and just say, thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of his spirit. Let's spend a few moments as they come forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord 
that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for all that you did for us and all that Jesus did for us so that we can know you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and with us and teaches us to know you and cleanses us from our sin, reminds us of what is true and then gives us the power to obey. We thank you that you have done the work and Father, we pray we would now submit to all that you are and all that you've done. Teach us to follow you faithfully. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.